0: Welcome to another episode of the XR Magazine podcast. I am Diana, your host, and today we're going to be speaking with an incredible woman. Her name is Michaela Tornaski-Holland. She is an Emmy, Webby, and Shearfield Dog Fest award winning XR Metaverse storyteller. Recently named as one of the 100 original voices of XR, She creates non-fiction and socially impactful stories by using immersive and interactive technology. She focuses on the impact of the projects to move beyond the project itself. When she's in creating her own digital projects, she consults for socially conscious companies and non-profit organizations on creative strategy and impact production. Her work has been featured by Time, Forbes, The Guardian, Cannes Film Festival, Sundance Film Festival, Tribeca Film Festival, and the New York Public Library. It sounds super interesting. Let's learn from her directly how she has done all of these amazing achievements. Thanks so much for being here today, and let's do it. Thank you so much, Micaela, for being here today. It's super, super exciting. Let's begin maybe to understand how did you get into the XR field? And as I always say, for someone who is just landing here, XR stands for extended reality. So it involves virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. But here is the expert. Let's hear from her. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Diana. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, for me, the my story is a very unique. So I didn't study technology. I didn't study um, interactive design. I didn't study gaming. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a developer. My start with virtual reality, augmented reality, and the XR industry really came from my love of dance and performance, so um growing up, I didn't realize that choreography was a form of storytelling. And my parents asked that I not uh, pursue my dance career, but rather pursue a career at a university and get my degree. And so I did both. I went to school for journalism because I realized that that was another way to tell stories, was to tell stories about real people and learn how to do that. But I also continued to do my dance career. And so I actually left my school of journalism for nine months, and I went and I performed on Disney Cruise Line. And while I was performing on Disney Cruise Line, I realized that storytelling wasn't just about what you write on a piece of paper or how you choreograph dancers on a stage. But storytelling is something that's immersive and interactive, and it's something that's all around us. And that when audience members feel safe and comfortable to explore a story, and when you give them agency to explore that story, then you are able to put them into an mindset and an understanding mindset to change their minds or change their behaviors about something. And so after I left Disney Cruise Line, I continued to work for Disneyland and SeaWorld and Legoland in Southern California while I continued to get my journalism degree. And that's when I started learning more about audio-based journalism and I started learning more about video-based journalism and while I was learning all of these like multimedia techniques to tell stories, I was still being immersed and in interacted. I was still immersed in interacting with stories at these theme parks. And so when I graduated from school, my biggest dream was to be able to put people inside of stories, but from a journalistic perspective or from a social impact perspective, right? So with Disney and SeaWorld and Legoland, those all have their own specific stories um but no one i saw was doing this for real life people and real life change a real life awareness you can go to a museum but a museum is different right a museum is focused on um scaling hundreds and hundreds of years into a physical space to help people understand what happened over the course of time I was more interested in intimate storytelling. How do we tell the story of real-life people, just a single person or a single community, not trying to showcase a whole century's worth of history in one space? And then I was exposed to virtual reality, augmented reality, and these immersive, interactive digital technologies, and that's when the ball dropped for me, and I realized that these were all things that I had been pursuing, but not actively within digital technology And so, when I started to put together my background as a choreographer, my background as a journalist, my background as a passionate storyteller, and now these digital technologies like virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, interactive video, interactive online platforms, it all just seemed to make sense and it all seemed to click. And that's where I got my start.
0: Oh, wow. That sounds super interesting. I like when you mentioned that. This is such a rich media and so interesting that we don't see just every, everybody pursuing that or, um, yeah, taking care of that side, but it's the stories, the individual stories, uh, that are not just, uh, yeah, you know, like it's, it's very fascinating to see a story through a character, for example, like the ones from Disney and, and, and stuff. But it's also fascinating to see the story of the person that is in the street, that lives day and night in the street or the person that is in jail, or the person that is going through the final stages of the cancer, you know? So those stories, I I also feel I share absolutely the same um, interest for social impact and using virtual reality for that. So how was, you know, how did you come to the very first one of these ones, like your very first project? How did you get into it? How, you know, how did you get started specifically into that?
1: So my first foray into uh, immersive interactive storytelling was using 360 technology with 360 cameras because I already knew about film based on my studies in school with video journalism and digital filmmaking. It translated a lot easier for me. So it made more sense instead of me diving into a computer engine based program or like a unity or an unreal it made more sense for me to start dabbling in this medium by starting with the camera and filming and then editing and so it was in 2016 i had just graduated from school <clears throat> i'd moved to la uh to be working as a pa on commercial film sets um as a pa on different types of um different types of films that were happening in L.A. And at the same time, I was um, purchasing my own 360 camera. I was pursuing my own personal 360 documentary. So I decided to do a documentary about homelessness in Orange County, California. Mm -hmm. And I just got a lot of my friends together and involved and interested in this medium, too. So I also filmed like dance videos using the 360 medium and then I would, you know, just sit at my computer at home and figure out how to make them better and how to continue to edit together mm-hmm. and how to publish. So many times I published things to Facebook or YouTube 360, and this was early days, and it would be folded or it would be like stitched on top of itself and I had to, you know, delete it, take it down and redo it. So it was just a constantly trying to figure out workflows at the time that weren't solidified and no one on YouTube was doing these workflows yet. Mm-hmm. And that was really gratifying because I then thought of an idea to make my own resume in 360. So I used, um, the same technology I was playing with on my day to day to create a resume that showcased who I was in a 360 field. And I used like, um, small, um, graphic design. And I met somebody who was a VR professor of journalism at at, at USC. His name's Robert Hernandez, awesome person. And I told him about my work, and I told him why I wanted to continue pursuing VR journalism. And he was the one that I owe my big break to. Um And he was the one that I owe all of my success to. Because without him, I wouldn't have been able to do the things I got to do in the coming months.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, sounds great. What type of, um, direction or specific, you know, guidance help you the most for, for that uh, success? It's, I'm curious to see, you know, how, what was so impactful for you to shape, you know, your career or your future?
1: I really think it was my background as a dancer. The minute I understood that a 360 camera was something you choreograph around, it really helped me understand that the way you place the 360 camera, the height you place the 360 camera, creates the compelling story. Most filmmakers work in a medium, close-up, wide shot. I work in choreography. I work in 3D. I've worked in 3D since I was in 11 years old, choreographing my own dances. So it just made sense to me, the translation and then the reality of being able to showcase people that whose stories don't always get told. So I actually had the honor and privilege of, um, shortly after purchasing my first 360 camera and shortly after exploring these mediums, getting hired by Time Magazine, moving to New York City. This was the year that Trump got elected, and I was able to document all of the things that happened in 360 for Time Magazine, the inauguration, the protests. I was able to go uh, travel for People Magazine and document film sets in 360. I was able to go to different um, national parks with Sunset Magazine and document different national parks in 360. I was able to travel to different places all over the U.S. to document amazing solar eclipses for Time Magazine and amazing sports stadiums for Sports Illustrated. And so I continued to hone my craft all through that time working for these different organizations that were all under the umbrella of Time Magazine at the time. But what was also really incredible about my exposure to Time Magazine was also that I learned about high, high quality of journalism, not just with 360 film, but also now with computer engine-based experiences. So live, like live streamed, um room scale, volumetric, however you say it, experiences that run on a game engine. So learning about how we created How we recreated a home on the American war front to showcase America, to showcase our project remembering Pearl Harbor, how we worked with the World War Two Museum, how we collaborated with the uh, survivor of Pearl Harbor, how we then moved into the space of telling the story of Buzz Aldrin and some of his ideas. So, like, I was exposed to all these technologies At a low risk, like I wasn't expected to develop an engineer, I wasn't expected to produce, I was an associate producer. So I got to sit back and learn about technologies that I hadn't learned about in school or technologies that I hadn't yet explored on my own. And that was really important. It was important for me to see collaboration. It was important for me to see that no project is successful without the uh, expertise of people around you. And no project is successful without everybody having their own specialty and their own knowledge and wisdom about a certain thing. I didn't have to be the one that knew it all. I didn't have to be the director, the producer, the project manager, and the marketer. And I think that's really important for anyone who's learning to see, because I think so often people put pressure and sh- stress on themselves that they have to do it all. They have to be able to do it. And the the reality is, it's good for you to be knowledgeable, but the best projects, the most successful projects, not just from public-facing points of view, the ones that go to festivals and the ones that do really well and the ones that win awards, but also successful for the people who are working on those projects are when true collaboration, true authentic collaborations are happening. And so I took all of those ideologies into consulting, into contracting, into independent projects, and now the... Diversity and inclusion and the representation in my productions are really important to me and how I treat people on those productions are really important to me because the people I work with are just as valuable to me as the people that I am servicing to showcase the story to, aka my audience. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. that can get lost in other, in other ways.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. That, that's very insightful for sure on how the actual projects work and the success of projects. Thank you for sharing that. I also wanted to ask you when in a documentary, for example, so there is a story that is, you know, that we want to to showcase. And in 360, because the viewer has the freedom of looking everywhere that they want, how do you make sure that you tell the story in the way that you have designed it without Affecting, you know, the attention of the viewer in any other side. What techniques do you use to actually tell the story in the way that you want the user, for example, or this or the viewer to to look at? You know,
1: I think that for me, I take a step back and I don't ever, I don't ever tell a story in 360 that I think that the viewer has to be looking at a certain place in order mm. for them to get the story. I think there's a lot of people out there in that camp. Mm. I'm of the camp that I I trust my audience to be a smart audience. I trust my audience to take what they want from the project. And so I don't choreograph my 360 films or my 360 experiences to be something that if you miss it, you miss it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Because for mm-hmm. me, the power of immersion, the power of interactivity comes when you give your audience agency. Mm-hmm. And if you yes. specifically choreograph things that are really hit or miss for that audience member, then you're not setting them up to have agency. You're setting them up to watch a film in a 360 Mm -hmm. environment, right? If you want them specific places. That being said, there are suggestions you can give your audience members in 360. Um, Some great suggestions is audio based suggestions. So having audio that really explores how the story is moving along for them or giving them context around the story. Um, sometimes not doing full 360 film wall-to-wall all the time, especially when you're playing with traditional 360 camera techniques. You can also use small 2D, like picture-in-a-picture experiences so that when your audience is really looking at a -a picture-in-a-picture, you're really pulling their focus away from anywhere else in the space and pulling their focus towards that picture-in-a-picture. But again, like choreography, you have to give them time to find that picture-in-a-picture. So if you just do it and then it disappears you're not really servicing your audience to find the spaces you want them to be looking at. And another thing I do sometimes is if it's a very dark experience and I'm using something like light particles from Unity or if I'm using Google Tilt Brush or Quill Brush strokes to tell the story, I won't just have it on the 180 field. I'll have it on the 180 field in front of them and on the 180 field behind them. It's the same exact thing happening but it's happening both in front and behind, so it gives them twice twice the ability to catch the whatever it is, the action, the audio, the da-da-da, the visual, versus most people just put everything on the 180 plane, and when it turns dark and they want them to focus, they just focus on the 180 moment right in front of you, but you have to realize if your audience was turned to the right, then valuable storytelling that they lose turning to the left to refine what you want them to find gets lost, so doubling up the action on both sides of them is not is a very safe way to make sure they at least get parts and pieces of it even if they're not looking at it directly 100% all the time because you're putting in more probability chances that they'll find it or that they'll witness it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much for that. In terms of designing social impact experiences, how do you... Approach it to actually spark an emotion. This is more about the storytelling, but in VR, how how do you make sure that the story is so like moving?
1: I think it really depends always on the collaboration. It really depends on the community whose story I get to tell, or it really depends on the person whose story I get to tell. I never approach, I never approach two stories the same at the same time. Um, It's always about the content, the theme. It's about the goal of the story. So, for example, the story about the children who swim to school in the Philippines. It's a story about children living in poverty, but it's a story about hope and about this organization that creates hope for these children by making, um, small yellow school books, school boats for them to get to school so they don't have to swim anymore. And so thinking about that project to me, it didn't feel authentic or it didn't even feel genuine for us to just do another 360 video of children living in poverty. People have done that before. And is that really portraying hope or is that portraying poverty porn? And so we chose to do instead an animated film. Um, not that we were shying away from poverty. We used every single part of the home and the lifestyle that we saw these children living in, in the animated film. But we decided that an animated film would be more aligned with our goals, more authentic, to the story we were trying to tell and also very respectful to the community we were trying to tell their story. And so that led away from a more traditional documentary and more into a social impact piece. Another choice we made in that was that we decided to do no audio, um, no no vocalized sound or dialogue, because we didn't want to worry about the ability for somebody to enjoy the experience. We wanted it to be universal. And so whenever you have dialogue, they get, A big item you have to also think about with social impact is localization. So if we were to do it in English, are we really serving our Filipino audience and not translating it into Tagalog or Poseidon? Or if we ever wanted it to be seen by anyone else in the world, like someone who speaks Spanish or someone who speaks Polish, are we truly making a universal story about hope if we put dialogue into the experience? And so these little choices that we make specific to the story are really important. Another part about social impact experiences is how you mobilize the experience once it's finished. You can't just say, it's done, my work is done, if you truly think your project is social impact. If your project is social impact, you don't just create a project, you also mobilize the project. So where does this project need to be seen? Who needs to see it? Why do they need to see it? When do they need to see it? Is there a special anniversary coming up and you're trying to get policy through the door? Is there a special... Um, Is there a special event coming up and you want to make sure the piece is seen at this event by certain types of people who can make decisions about this experience or make decisions about this person's life? And so there's really clear um, what I would call ethics, not only in the creation process of social impact experiences, but also in the distribution or mobilization process of social impact experiences. And one of the things I've seen is a lot of people who create social impact, they budget for the production And then they're exhausted and there's no way that their social impact experience gets seen. So one of the things I'm working on is how we build impact campaigns into the funding strategy at the production level, not at the post-production level.
0: Oh, that's great. That's amazing. Yeah, because that, that might be very common. Do you feel that really there, there is a need to have just only specific connections or or how do you someone who is an independent creator, for example, independent filmmaker in, in VR, who is trying to show their project? Do they have to um really have these special connections, or how would you recommend someone in this situation to approach uh, support? for this type of project?
1: Um, I think it depends if you're talking at the production level or at the distribution level. But for me, if someone's independent trying to create their own social impact project, it really depends on the project, right? It really depends, like, what type of project is it? Is it a 360 video? Is it a volumetric VR? Is it an augmented reality experience? Is it an interactive web-based experience? That's all going to answer and help to answer and formulate those questions, One thing you can think about if you really want to scale the impact strategy of your project is to bring in an impact producer or to collaborate with an impact-focused organization. If you're telling a story about social impact or documentary, it's important you also align yourself with experts in that field, even if you just send them a quick email to let them know you're working on this. Um, It doesn't matter if it's a field as wide as nuclear weapons threat or a field as um, small as your community garden that you want to create awareness about. It's important that you are not just the excavator or the colonizer of that story. It's important that you become the collaborator with that community around how to tell their story. And in order to do that, you need to gain their trust. You need to have a repertoire. You need to have communication with them. And those types of connections and relationships will help start to formulate and answer the questions around how you mobilize the experience. You are a bridge, you're not just an island, so you can bridge yourself to many different places and many different people, and those types of collaborations and those types of constellations that you build as you're creating a project are really key to helping you find the ways you mobilize and the importance of mobilization.
0: Mm -hmm. that's great thank you so much yeah definitely you've worked in so many amazing projects which is the most impactful that you've seen maybe for your personal life or any other um aspect that you want to mention but which one is your favorite
1: oh gosh I don't have a favorite I don't think that'd be very fair Mm -hmm. but um something that really impacted me when I saw it um Carne Arena, which was Alejandro Neritu's piece about the migration, people migrating across the border, um, and getting basically caught and captured by ICE officers was really, and by, or by Border Patrol was really impactful for me because it wasn't just the digital technology he used, but it was also the physical storytelling he used. So one of the things he had us do before you go into headset was take off our shoes and our socks. And so underneath our feet, we actually felt the rough sort of rock Mm pebble-esque textures of the desert as we watched these people going through what they went through. And, um, When the helicopter came overhead, there was an actual fan that simulated a helicopter-esque experience. And I really think that that's that's the magic of all of this together is pure digital technology is amazing and can definitely stand on its own as its own piece of storytelling. But we can't forsake the fact that physical storytelling is also really impactful and important too. And so what I loved about that project was the way that it connected Mm -hmm. and transformed both to be elevated in a higher way. And that's something I always like to keep in mind. Does that mean the budget needs to be larger? Of course. Does that mean the budget, it gets bigger? Of course. But that doesn't mean that it isn't something that can inspire, um, it inspired me at the time, um, but it also you know, helped inform me that I wasn't crazy because I had always thought that physical and digital storytelling mixed together was the most impactful. And I tried that on my next project, and it was very successful. Um, But it just being able to see it done by, like, an Oscar award-winning director, getting to see that the LACMA, getting to see that the it, at the LACMA it was almost sold out, like, seeing all of these things that helped sort of reinforce for me that the work I was doing wasn't, it wasn't bleeding edge, and it wasn't this, like, fringe. It was something that was really it was still really legitimate and that like people re- were, were were resonating with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much. So for learners who are in the stage of getting to know about XR and how this a project like this actually unfolds, I wonder if you could please help us to see a general framework of how a workflow goes in order to complete a project like this? Like, what are the set of operations or things that happen to create a project in VR? Like, for example, the project Luan, I think that is the name? Lu Lutal, sorry.
1: Okay. Um, so, I mean... It really is a chicken and an egg question around your funding. Like if your funding's already secured, then you really just get to move forward and produce and create and then distribute just like you would any project. If your funding isn't solidified, then that's really the first thing you want to focus on is the project development, put together your pitch deck, put together your collaborators and start pitching the project around to different places in order to secure your funding. Um, I am a huge believer that people should get paid for the work they do, and uh, it took me a very long time to make it so that VR and AR storytelling was the one thing paying my bills. I had to work as a group fitness instructor. I had to work as a dancer and a performer. When I first started going as a consultant or as a contractor, I worked in event production as well, so it's really important that, you know, you create projects that are sustainable for yourself. So Funding is important, and if you're not funding for your project and you're just doing it with a bunch of friends or collaborators who are not getting paid, making sure you can pay your bills in some other way is also really important. Um, That being said, really, it just depends on the project. Um, But a basic project goes through pre-production, production, production, and then post-production, right? And that can look different for every project. If you're working on a 360 film, it's going to follow a more traditional film pipeline. If you're doing more of a animated experience, it's going to follow more of an animation pipeline. If you're doing a game engine experience, it's going to follow more of a video game pipeline. But I think what's really key here is that whoever's directing the project or whoever's leading the project, it's important that you have a really clear communicative Vision for the project, even if the creative shifts or adjusts, you being the best communicator you can be for everyone involved in the project is going to make the project as seamless as possible. Um, Basically, collaborating with the team of people until the project is finished, that's also the next part of your strategy is like, what do you want to do with the project once it's finished? Do you want to showcase it at festivals? Do you want to showcase it with different organizations? Do you want to showcase it at different hackathons or different um, art galleries? Right. So it's really a question around what is the project you're doing, who are the collaborators you want, and how do you think this project should be seen once it's finished? Those are the three really key questions you have to continue to answer for yourself as you create these types of projects. Mm-hmm. And what does your what does your collaborators want too? Because, like for example, the community garden. The community garden might say, we really want this experience to be shown at the city council because we're asking for more land. Okay, great. That's when you know, okay, I need to show this at a city council meeting. Or versus being like working with someone who's working on abortion. They're like, we want this to be seen um at 70 Christian churches worldwide. All right. Well, that's a whole other level of mobilizing your project. So learning about also where your expertise uh lies who your experts are listening to them understanding them and then making sure you set the project up for success it's a lot to do this is not an easy thing and you shouldn't do it alone
0: yeah thank you so much that's incredible the very last question that i'm gonna um, offer here is in terms of creating an experience in vr for example to tell a story what would be your favorite tools to use
1: Um, that's a great question. So again, I'm not a developer or an engineer. So Mm -hmm. where I start is I usually start with, um, diagramming. So I'll start with like a Miro board or I'll start with Google slides. I'll even start with a Pinterest board. Or if I'm working with a specific community, I'll start with research or I'll start with Mm -hmm. interviews with that community. Um, I'll start with photos or videos or I'll start with, um, going there myself and taking my own photos or taking my own videos. Um, so these are all tools I've used. Um, I use a lot of SingSketch. Um I have my own headset I'll look at builds on. Sometimes if I'm working on a certain type of project, I have to use a link cables and I have a PC ready laptop. So I have like a suite of tools and I use them in different ways. Um I'm a big fan of Google Drive. I use a lot of Google Docs and Google Sheets and Google Slides. I'm a big fan of uh, Slack. I usually put together a Slack for every project I have. I've also used Discord for other projects. That way the project team and the production team can speak to each other quickly and easily. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not just via email. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are all the tools that I've used in the past that I've really enjoyed that aren't necessarily traditional VR tools.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, it's been amazing to hear from all your experience to share so much kindness through your work. And I'm super glad to hear that you are into that specific field of diversity, social impact. It's such an amazing work. Thank you so much for that, Micaela. I wonder at this point, is there anything that you wish I had asked you today?
1: Um, No, I mean, I think we had a really great conversation. I would say anyone who's listening to this, you know, timing is really key. The time you start to work on getting into this industry, the time that you spend trying to learn about this industry. um, There's a lot happening, but there's a place for you. If you're an artist, there's a place for you. If you're an engineer, there's a place for for you. If you're a storyteller, there's a place for you. If you're someone who's just interested in learning more, there's a place for you. I really hope that this industry doesn't seem intimidating. I really hope this industry doesn't seem like a mountain you have to climb there are people like me and many other people I know who would love to sit and speak with you or would love to encourage you to continue your pursuits because the reality is, is there's a physical reality that we live in on a day-to-day basis, and there's a digital reality that we also live in, the Zoom world, the email world. The world of social media, the world of video games, this is all, this is all connected to a larger digital reality. And the work we're doing in VR, AR and metaverse and web three and all those weird little quirky things people talk about. That's us expanding that digital reality. And for me, what I see is that if we want to make the digital reality more diverse, more inclusive, if we want to right the wrongs that physical reality has around, um, non about around not, not having the same kind of equity that we would want it to have around it not having the same kind of respect for certain voices that we would want it to have there is a really amazing opportunity in the digital reality to make that happen we could have a more equitable digital reality a more safe digital reality for all cultures for all backgrounds for all sexuality for all genders and we need people who can come and help us make that reality happen we need lawyers we need um spokespeople, we need activists, we need creatives, we need people who see the pitfalls of physical reality and want to change that for a whole other reality to come or is already here or is coming. So it's really important that you don't feel like you don't have a place in this field because this field will soon become the second place you spend the most time. You probably already spend a lot of time on your computer. You already spend a lot of time on your phone. That is you interacting with the digital reality, and you can come be a part of growing it and expanding it to be the way you want it to be.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Micaela. You're such an amazing woman, such a uh, good example to follow for uh, improving our careers or uh, contributing to the world in that beautiful way. Thank you so much, Michaela. And if somebody wants to follow, contact you and get a hold of you, how they can do it?
1: Yes, the best way to find me is through my website. It's MichaelaTernaskiHolland.com. On there will be my Instagram, my Twitter, my LinkedIn um, so you can find me through all of those different platforms. You can reach out to me on all those platforms um, or you can send me a direct email via my website.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Mikaela, And uh, see you in the next episode. Bye for
1: now. Thank you for having me.